0: Good morning. Well, as uh, Naomi introduced me to you, my name is Amy Ratsara, and I have the privilege of sharing with you a little bit about what it is that God has done in my life. Now, when I received the invitation from ASI to come and speak at this convention, I asked them, okay, well, what would you like me to talk about? In my role as a lawyer, The facts are usually given to me about any presentation I have to make to a jury. I don't have to decide on the subject content. I just have to figure out how to present it in a convincing way. Well, they said, we want you to share your testimony. And we want you to share it in the context of the theme this year, Business Unusual. So I thought to myself, well, do you know how my testimony fits into the theme this year? And if so, could you let me know <laughs> so that I know what to say? I thought about presenting about something else, about talking something about something other than the things that God has done in my life, but the more I resisted it, the more I was convinced that no, this was what God wanted me to talk about. I don't know why. Some of the stories feel a little old in terms of the distance and time that's gone by, but The Spirit of God has blessed me in thinking about these things and remembering these things. And so I just pray that this morning it is a blessing for you. Now the reason I might hesitate or why I was curious as to why my testimony would be something you might want to hear is I grew up a Seventh-day Adventist. I grew up in Berrien Springs, Michigan at Andrews University with Adventist parents who taught in Adventist schools. I attended Adventist schools myself and I never really wandered far from the faith. Now, I know that doesn't mean that I don't have a testimony. Each and every one of us do. But I just wondered, how would my testimony be relevant or interesting to a group of people who are coming to listen? I don't have any radical conversion story about being plucked from obscurity or something like that. And I haven't gone to an exotic mission field to talk about the wonderful things that God has done and worked in obviously miraculous ways. My testimony just seems kind of run-of-the-mill like everyone else. But the fact of the matter is I really shouldn't be here and it's not just because of the fact that I didn't know what to talk about this morning. I shouldn't be here because at least the, the buzz in our church these days is that my peers are not here. I am a millennial and it, the talk seems to be that millennials are not present in our church today. Whether Either they're there but they're not active or they're not there at all. And so, as I reflected and thought about, well, why am I here? Why am I still a Seventh day Adventist? Why has God been able to keep me with that faith that I grew up with? And I realized that's what he wants me to share with you this morning. So, before I do, why don't we pray together? And then um, we'll spend some time together looking at God's word and also um, just seeing how God has worked. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for bringing us together here in Orlando, Florida for this opportunity for us to spend time with one another. Lord, I just pray that you would be with me now as I speak, that you would share something from my life, Lord, that you have done that would bring encouragement and peace to those who are listening, and Father, that it would encourage us all to be faithful to you in everything that we do. We thank you, Lord, and we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. So, As many of you are probably aware, social media is kind of changing the way things that are going everywhere. There's a group of people called social media influencers and what they are, are many of them are millennials. They take their phones and they post pictures, they post tweets, they post things on Facebook and they get many, many followers. As a result of getting all of these followers, businesses are starting to leverage their social clout in order to try to get their brands out in front of other people or get their business in front of other people. These social media influencers have been so effective at changing the way that marketing has been going that they've spawned a new class of wannabes and copycats who will go onto these different social media websites, they will pay for followers to make it look like they have 80,000 people following them and then they'll email a luxury hotel and say, I wanna stay free for two weeks and I'll do two posts about it so all of my followers can see. These luxury hotels, they're starting to get really frustrated with these young people and what they're doing. But it does go to show that those who are legitimately exercising this are using their influence in a way to change business as usual. And they're remodeling the way that people are going forward with marketing. I'm sure many of you with your businesses or with your ministries have even tried to figure out how can we use social media and are there young people who can help promote what we're doing in what what we're doing. But this generation who has figured out how to market so effectively on social media can oftentimes seem absent in the Seventh-day Adventist church today. Maybe it's because they're not here, or maybe it's just because they're not active I praise God for blessing me with the family that I grew up in. As I indicated before, I was born to parents who were Seventh-day Adventist. I went to Ruth Murdoch Elementary School and Andrews Academy in Berrien Springs, Michigan. Um, While in high school, I became a Sabbath school teacher and I worked with summer day camp programs through our church where I was able to teach children about the love of Jesus as well as do summer activities with them. But many of the friends who I grew up with are no longer Seventh-day Adventists themselves. They're not in the church, and some of them are even antagonistic against the church. And that's despite the fact that we sat next to each other in elementary school. We sat side by side at Sabbath school. We taught together at the summer flag camp, and we did all of these things together. We studied for baptism together, and yet they're not here. I don't claim to have perfect knowledge to know what happened to my peer group and why they are not in the church or why they're not active in the church. But my reason for being here is not to give some sort of scientific analysis or explanation of the cause and effect of what's going on. I'm here to talk about what it was that God has done for me and how he led me along the way and the joy that that has brought. So having grown up as a Seventh-day Adventist in a Seventh-day Adventist college town, I assumed that when I finished academy, of course I would go to a Seventh-day Adventist university. I also thought I would go to Andrews University. My dad, by that point, was a professor at the university. My mother taught at Andrews Academy. Why would I be going to school anywhere else but the place where my parents were? That's what a good Seventh-day Adventist would do. But to my surprise, um, in an answer to prayer that I was not expecting, and a full tuition scholarship, I ended up that fall at the University of Michigan instead of Andrews University. In making that decision to go um, and following God's leading there, I became a statistic of the young people in our church, the vast majority of whom, and when I say vast majority, I mean at the 70 or 80th percentile of the young people in our church, I was at a secular institution of higher learning rather than one of our institutions for higher learning in order to continue my education. Um, And it was that fall of my college year that I encountered two things that completely changed my life forever, campus ministry and GYC. I'll tell you in just a minute what drew me to each, but as I discuss each, I also wanna share with you a portion of scripture that spoke to me in those moments and how I think the word of God acted to keep me not just in the church, but in the careful watch care of God. My last Sabbath at my home church, PMC, before um, before leaving for school was the first Sabbath of the school year. All the freshmen were on campus and these would have been my classmates, my dorm mates, the people I would have been going to school with. During the whole service my mind was wandering, wondering if I had really made the right decision, if God really was calling me to go to the University of Michigan, rather than staying in this place where I felt comfortable, where I assumed he would want me to be. The pastor's message that day was on being a missionary where you are, and he was encouraging the students to encourage one another in the Lord, even though they were on a Christian University campus. He then directed us to turn our Bibles to Isaiah 49.6, and I'd ask that you do the same thing right now. And this is when my wandering mind finally perked up and started to pay attention. Isaiah 49.6. And in this verse it says, He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. As he read that scripture, it was as though my heart stopped and I could sense the spirit of God telling me, this is why you're going to the University of Michigan. You've been in Israel for long enough. It's time for you to be a light to all nations. This was a complete paradigm shift for me. Even though I knew God was leading me to the University of Michigan, I didn't know why. I thought for whatever reason he needed me to get my education there instead of somewhere else. I could not have been more wrong because the education that they give there we know is not true education. But God was directing my path to that university so that I could be a missionary. Now, this perspective was so new for me that I thought It was an original idea. Surely no one has ever thought of the fact that if they go to a secular university, they should be a missionary. To my surprise and joy though, when I found the Seventh-day Adventist group on campus, that is exactly what they were about. And I jumped right in. I started attending the weekly Bible studies. They had both large group Bible studies and small group Bible studies. I soon, I soon learned how to give Bible studies myself and became a regular um, and began regularly giving Bible studies to people on campus. I remember my sophomore year, it was the second semester. I had maxed out the number of credits that I was taking, so I was very busy, but I wanted to continue my ministry as well. So I think I was participating in two different small groups and giving an individual Bible study, only to find out that the president of our student group was leaving and that now the responsibility of leading the group was also gonna fall to me. I committed myself to God though and said, Lord, I don't wanna suffer academically. I don't wanna suffer in ministry. I believe you've called me to do all these things, so please help me. And that's exactly what he did. He created time out of nowhere it seems and he also gave me a mind quick for learning. That turned into one of my most successful semesters academically but also one of the most rewarding spiritually as I saw how God continued to work in the lives of my friends on campus and the way that we were able to influence what was happening on our campus. One of the things that a friend of mine and I really liked to do in order to try to encourage our ministry was to take classes together in order to find a student who was searching for the truth. The first time we did this was our freshman year. We took physics together. And sure enough, there was a young man in my physics class who invited me to study with him one night um, for us to learn. Now, I kind of sensed that maybe he was secretly trying to ask for a date. And uh, while we were open to creative types of ministry, I did not believe that I should flirt to convert. So, (laughs) I called my friend Erica and I said, Erica, you need to study for physics too. Let's go study with this man. So we go. He didn't seem too upset that I brought a third person along for the study session. But as our conversation drifted away from physics, it started to drift towards spiritual things. I don't remember exactly how, but we ended up talking about death And that night, we were able to give him a study on the state of the dead and share with him the truth that the Bible has for us, that we don't have to worry about what happens when we die as long as we trust in Jesus. We decided this was so effective. We decided to take another class together. And this one was called Second Temple Judaism. So focusing on what people would call the intertestamental period and into the New Testament. The professor in this class was clearly against the idea that the Bible is the inspired word of God, and that made us excited to be able to show him that he was wrong. (laughs) Um, But in the process, we found a girl who had been coming to one of our Bible studies. She'd been making friends with other people in our ministry group and growing close with them, and and she was taking the class and sat with us as well. She had grown up in a Christian background, but she herself on the secular university campus was starting to ask the same questions that the professor was raising about the validity of the Bible, about whether or not it can be depended on as the word of God. But we continued to be friends with her. We continued to study with her. The others in the group continued to do the same. A year after that class, she decided to keep the Sabbath and a few months after that she made she made the decision to be baptized she has done mission work for the Seventh-day Adventist Church all over the world and continues to be a active Seventh-day Adventist today more than a decade later also We would take this opportunity to write our papers and gear our presentations in a way where we could talk about the truths of God in our classes. In that class, for example, my friend Erica wrote a paper showing that Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 7 actually are talking about the same kingdoms when our professor said that it was not. And I wrote a paper talking about how Daniel chapter 9 really does point to when Jesus' first advent was and not what the professor was saying that it was. We both received excellent marks on those papers and had a captive audience because our professor had to read what we wrote. <laughs> Another example of this was a Spanish class. I, I majored in history, I minored in Spanish, and um, it was one of my favorite Spanish classes, but I got assigned some poems I had to do a presentation on for the class. I am not a fan of poetry in any language. It just it, it, It doesn't resonate with me. My husband is a huge fan of poetry, but it it just doesn't speak to me in the same way. But this was like classical Spanish, so the equivalent of King James English in Spanish in a poetry form, and Spanish is the weaker of my two languages. I started to get very stressed about this assignment and about having to share this with the rest of the class. I wasn't understanding it, it wasn't clicking, and anxiety was threatening to set in. This wasn't the first time something like that happened in college, it would threaten me every once in a while, every semester, um, to just get overwhelmed with everything that was going on, trying to be an excellent student to God's glory in addition to being active in ministry. But I developed the habit of turning to the word of God when that threat of anxiety would come in. And specifically, I would turn to Matthew chapter six. You can turn with me there. Matthew chapter six. And I would read verses 31 through 34. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So I would read this passage every time I felt overwhelmed, begging God to help me not to be anxious, to depend on him, and to seek first his kingdom in everything that I was doing on the university, and not to worry so much about what particular grade I may get. this poet, whose poems I was struggling with, was a priest or a monk or, or something along those lines. And as I had turned to this passage, struggling with that material, asking the Lord to take the anxiety away from my heart so I could get through this assignment, I skimmed the surrounding verses and chapters to this verse, the Sermon on the Mount, and all of a sudden something clicked. This poet was making allusions to the Sermon on the Mount in his poetry. He was talking about the fact that we shouldn't be laying up treasures in heaven. And he was also talking about finding the narrow way. When I realized this, I was so excited. I went, I printed off the relevant portions from the Bible, made photocopies, and and added that to the last part of my presentation for class. When I got to class, I had to make the presentation in Spanish, and in general, my Spanish is okay, but you know, everyone was a language learner in that class. And um, as I made the presentation, I was able to give my classmates a Bible study on why we shouldn't worry, why we shouldn't be putting our treasures in heaven, and how we should be finding that narrow way. And when it got confusing, or my Spanish got a little jarbled, my professor would jump in and clarify, explain what I was meaning to say. So really, I had a professor who was helping me give a Bible study to a class of of colleagues there at the University of Michigan. I know many people look back at their college years with fond nostalgia for a variety of reasons. Maybe they had great camaraderie with their classmates, with their doormates. Maybe that's where they met the love of their life, the person who they married. Or maybe that's where they found the passion for their professional um, pursuits that they were going to continue on for the rest of their adult life. And some of these are true for me too. I made friendships that I um, hope to never ever lose and I found a passion for both ministry as well as the work that I do now. But what brings back the most joy upon me going back and thinking about these years in college was knowing that I was in exactly the place where God would have me, doing what he would have me to do and being faithful to him. Now, I don't want you to think that this is necessarily an advertisement saying all Seventh-day Adventist young people should go to a secular university. It's not. By and large, our schools are the places where I believe Seventh-day Adventist young people should be. But the spirit of prophecy does say that this is a work that will be done and it must be done by those who are taught and led of God. And so for some young people, God is actually calling them to go onto these campuses, not to gain an education there, but to be a missionary and to be a light A final scripture that spoke to me during this time um, at college was Philippians chapter 2, verses 2 through 15. And I'll invite you to turn with me there as well. Philippians chapter 2, verses 2 through 15. I'm sorry, not 2, verses 12 through 15. So Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 15. And it reads this. Therefore, my beloved... among whom you shine as lights in the world. The values of excellence and a, missionary, and a missionary mindset are what drew me into campus ministry while I was in college. And God used these values and the community that developed around them to keep me from wandering from the faith that I had been raised in and that I had made a commitment to as my own. Turning back to the fall of my freshman year, the second thing that I was introduced to that changed my life was GYC. Several young adults involved with that campus ministry were the founders of GYC. Now for those of you who may not know, GYC has, is, are three letters that have stood for many different things um, over the years ranging from the General Youth Conference to Generation of Youth for Christ to what it's called now, Generation Youth Christ. But regardless of the name, the purpose of GYC has been a place for Seventh-day Adventist young people to go be together, receive training and encouragement in their personal relationship with Jesus, in, in, in teaching them how to be faithful local church members, and active personal evangelists, in efforts to finish the work in this generation. But I didn't know that back then. I didn't even know that the founders of GYC were the people I was going to church with. Somehow, I had stumbled upon GYC's website that fall, and as I read the um, description, their theme that year was higher than the highest, and it it spoke to that part of me that desired excellence for myself and for those around me. And as I read the description of what GYC and saw that it was going to be there in Ann Arbor, Michigan that fall, I wanted to go. I misunderstood, I think, what they were saying on there. I think they put the cap of how many people were gonna be able to attend. And I thought that that meant there was some sort of special, selective process to go to GYC. And I just hoped so much that somehow I could be chosen to go to this wonderful place called GYC. Only to find out that no, all I had to do was go and register and I could participate. And my friends there at church encouraged me to do so. That convention was the perfect way to end that first semester at a secular university. It was like a spiritual boot camp experience where we were up before dawn at morning devotionals and up still way past um, the evening, or way late into the evening hours, listening to the different speakers present. The messages were convicting and they showed me that the Seventh-day Adventist message has an intellectual integrity to it that we have no reason to be ashamed about even at one of the world's most elite universities, that I can hold my head up high and confident that my faith is not just faith, but it makes intellectual sense as well. But the thing that really impressed me there was, what I saw was young people were the people who were running GYC. I was awed to see that these young people, individuals who back then seemed old, they were only three or four years older than me, so they were probably 22 or 23 at the time, um, but they were doing a mighty work for God. I silently prayed at that GYC that, If he wanted me to, if God wanted to use me in such a way, um, that I would be willing to do that. But I didn't really think anything more of it. Over the next few years, I started to volunteer with GYC in in small ways. Um, I would sit in a seminar and press the record button so that that recording could get uploaded to the website. Eventually, I was invited to work on a committee where we developed the printed resources for GYC. But it still came as a complete shock and it was very humbling when I received a call from GYC's board of directors to go and serve on their executive committee. First as the secretary for the organization and later on as the general vice president. I ultimately agreed to take on that role um, but did not know what leadership at that level was going, what impact it was going to have on my life. Having been intimately involved with GYC for the better part of a decade, I've tried to think about what makes GYC, GYC. People often think that it's unique and it's cutting-edge ministry that's supporting the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And GYC's main work is to host annual conventions here in North America. And those conventions tend to draw on four values, I'm sorry, (laughs) those conventions tend to draw on international attendance. But what does GYC do to continue to garner this reputation? And I believe that four values have led GYC to have the influence that it does today on, its ch- on the church. First of all, as I indicated before, the thing that drew me in the first place is that it is youth-led. Fundamental to GYC is the idea that the youth are capable of serving other youth, of reaching their peers both inside and outside the church. This does not mean that GYC rejects the idea of mentorship or guidance or leadership from older adults. Quite the contrary. In order to help young adults become more effective in ministering to their peers, such involvement is not just necessary, but also desired on the part of young people all over the world. What GYC emphasizes, though, is that the youth are to take an active role to feel a deep sense of duty and responsibility to their involvement in the Seventh-day Adventist church. From their local church level all the way up to the General Conference, and every level in between. Young people started the Seventh-day Adventist movement, and we have prophetic understanding that the youth will play a pivotal role at this time in Earth's history. God does not want to see those who are in the prime of life simply sitting, idly sitting by. He wants young adults actively involved, recruiting their peers to the mission. The other thing that has drawn people, I believe, is the sense of volunteerism, of, of sacrifice and commitment. Sacrifice and commitment have characterized the type of dedication to those involved with GYC from the very beginning. Every year the convention center is hosting GYC, are amazed that the organization holding an event of this magnitude is run 100% by volunteers. I should say 100% with one part-time employee. Volunteerism though is often coming at a great cost and it emphasizes that our involvement with the movement is not for monetary gain or even for building a resume, but for rewards which are intangible, yet real and profound. The fact of the matter is that no one has to be at GYC. There's no employment contract. There's no paycheck to entice participation. Instead, members of the executive committee, volunteers all the way up to the president, pay out of their own pockets to participate in GYC, to attend it, to travel to it, to purchase the meals, and to do everything. Attendees and volunteers throughout make even more significant um, sacrifices to further the cause each year, besides those that are necessary to attend the annual convention. And all of this because at GYC, the question is not what can I get, but what can I give? GYC is also a grassroots movement. The simple idea of youth leadership exhibited through volunteerism as sacrifice and commitment is incredibly sticky And it's demonstrated broad appeal at the ground levels of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. GYC is more than an annual conference. It's a grassroots movement with manifestations that have appeared all over the world and beyond GYC doing anything in order to try to see these things happening all over the world. GYC's own leadership, the Executive Committee, which I no longer sit on but my husband does, um, inspires that and they're intensely grassroots. All of them are either students, young professionals, or local church pastors, all taken from the grassroots level of our church. As a result, GYC is able to tailor its programming at the annual convention and activities throughout the year to the needs that they know are real in the church because they are involved with those parts of the church themselves because that's where they're living. Finally, GYC values diversity. The grassroots appeal of GYC has not been limited to one people group or even one country. One of the marks that distinguishes GYC is that it transcends racial and ethnic barriers and is embraced by people from many different walks of life in the church. And the diversity is not just limited to cultural. There are people from vastly different socioeconomic backgrounds who identify with GYC. There are also people in this day and age with a variety of political opinions from the far right to the far left that are espoused with those who espouse what's called the spirit of GYC. But what brings people together from all these different walks of life is a commitment to our Lord Jesus and an acknowledgement that that commitment to him takes preeminence over every other identity in our lives. The beauty of diversity that results from this type of common commitment to a higher cause is that it's not artificial, as many diversity programs in different workplaces or academic institutions tend to be. Rather, it results naturally. And while coming in contact with others may challenge us, sometimes to our cores, it makes us stronger as individuals as well as a church. So being on a leadership team of an organization that holds such values was thrilling to be sure. But as I reflect at my time at GYC and how that experience God used to keep me in the church, it was not necessarily any one of those values that God was using. Rather, it was a principle in scripture that continues to astound me. Turn with me. um, you You should be in Philippians. Let's go to Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 17. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. It's especially that last verse that just amazes me. Paul was telling the church in Philippi to imitate him and to watch those who walk according to the example that he gave. Now we know that that's okay because we know he's pressing toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God. But it continues to baffle me that Paul had such confidence in his relationship with Jesus and the influence it was having in his life that he could call on other people to watch him as a person to imitate because he was imitating Christ. And yet, it's exactly this that ends up being one of the biggest pressures for young people who are put in a leadership position, particularly at GYC, but I believe anywhere where young people are called to be leaders, especially in this day and age where so much of Young people's lives are lived online in pictures and in posts on social media. And all of a sudden, in their faithfulness to God and their desire to humbly serve, they're thrust into a position where, through no desire of their own, they're made maybe even a mini-celebrity. This is not a position that is enviable, it's not one that they desired, but yet in this position where there's this new pressure, they're called upon to be the same type of person as Paul, to be a person who is worthy to imitate because they are following Christ and his upward call. Now I will tell you, this has been a challenge for many a young person who's gone through the leadership at GYC. And so I know many of you here know GYC. I know many of you here love GYC. I know many of you here send your children to GYC. And if all of these things are true for you, then I just wanna take a moment and ask that you pray for the young people who are leading GYC. They really are the leadership, but they need your help, they need your prayers, that they too can be faithful to the upward call of Jesus, so that that pressure is not pressure at all, but that they're truly living those lives that are worthy of imitation, because they are imitating Christ. I faced this pressure too, as did my contemporaries in GYC's leadership, Um, but I realized that more than just the sermons we heard at the annual convention and even listening to sermons in preparation for the convention to choose speakers, more than the values of the, the spirit of GYC, The way God used GYC to keep me was through the community that it built in my life. By the time I was on GYC's leadership, I had graduated from the University of Michigan and moved to Charlottesville, Virginia to earn my law degree at the University of Virginia. I was now isolated from friends and family several states away, and while I would describe my college years as a golden experience, both in life and in ministry, I felt like I was walking on clouds, um, my graduate studies were definitely not of the same character. And I am convinced that if I had been there all alone, truly all alone, without any accountability, without any community, that, I, that is the point where I could have been lost in my Christian walk but I praise the Lord that for whatever reason he saw fit to use me to call me to work with GYC and that in doing so he gave me some authentic friendships that called me to accountability, that kept me faithful, that helped me to remember that I needed to keep my eyes on Jesus because other young people were watching me. Every time that we would have a leadership retreat or some event that we would have to go to, I would go kicking and screaming, thinking this is taking me away from what I'm supposed to do, only to then leave that retreat realizing and remembering that I needed to seek first God and his kingdom. I realize I've said a lot in all of this, but the reason why I have said all of this and the reason why many of my friends, as well as myself, are still in the Seventh-day Adventist church it simply comes down to this. It's because of the power of influence. The influence of those a few years older than us and that they had on our lives, the influence that we had on each other, the influence that resulted from a commitment to excellence, a missionary mindset, a sense of ownership of our church, sacrifice and commitment, being involved at the grassroots level of our church and embracing diversity and because of the community that God helped us build. And because of the influence that we have had on each other, I have seen the world change. I have seen secular friends give their hearts to Jesus and become Seventh-day Adventists. And I have seen wayward Seventh-day Adventist youth come back into the church and become active. I've seen local churches rejuvenated by active participation of young adults. And I have seen millennials take an ownership interest in their church all over the world. And I've seen the church take notice of them too and respond to their needs. Once again, I don't know what I'm doing here. I pray that something that I've shared with you this morning was helpful to somebody here. But I trust once again that God knows what he is doing and that he did call me to share these experiences for some reason. I'm gonna make three simple appeals right now. Listen very carefully to each of the three, and at the very end, if any of them seem to apply to you, I'll invite you to stand with me as I pray. The first one is this. You sense that though you've been an Adventist for your whole life, or for a long time, um, that you've been tempted to wander away. The words to that hymn speak too true to your heart. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. But today you wanna say, Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. You want to say, Lord, I know you can work in my life and you can use me without me ever having to go anywhere. And I pray that you do that today. Second, you know God is calling you to a special and unique type of ministry, calling you to be a light in the world, even if it's not in traditional forms of ministry or mission work. Now I I said this at the beginning, I'm a millennial. (laughs) I do spend my own fair share of time on social media and one of the things I love to do is watch these short little videos where they show people preparing food. And what I wonder is this, where are the creative Seventh-day Adventists making this type of video that could also be a hook into our message to bring people into the church. I know there are Seventh-day Adventist young people out there and Seventh-day Adventist older people out there who have the creative ability who God could use to do this. Maybe it's not specifically that, but you know God has been calling you to some sort of unique or special ministry. You didn't know when to start, where to start, how to start, but you know that you want to. And if that's the commitment that you make, in a moment I'm gonna ask for you to stand up as well. And finally, You sense that maybe you've had a golden age of ministry or of your spiritual walk experience and life has happened and maybe that's not what it is today anymore. But you know that you need a community to help you to continue to live up to the high standards and ambitions for the Lord that you want to live. And you wanna to say to the Lord, Lord, I don't just wanna be a part of that community, I wanna help make that type of community in my home, in my local church, in my, field, in my sphere of influence. So if any of those three things apply to you, I ask that you stand with me and we'll close in prayer. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we're so blessed by the way that you take care of each and every one of us, Father. We know that even if we don't think that it's sensational or flashy or an adventure story, that you've given each and every one of us a testimony. And Father, I pray that you just bring that to every person's here's remembrance, as well as mine, Lord, that you truly have worked in each of our lives. Father, I pray for those who feel that, do they really have anything to offer the church if they've been here the whole time? Please, Father, show them that they can continue to be faithful to you and that, they can, that you can use them in a mighty way. Lord, we live in changing times and changing places, but we know your gospel is evergreen and true. We pray that you would help us, Lord, to find the different ways to engage people in today's climate, Lord, with the age-old truth that you've given us, whether that's different creative forms of ministry as well as being faithful to the things that we know have worked in times past and finally Lord I know there are people here today who are hearing my voice who want to be faithful to you who want to continue to serve you who may even have wonderful stories from their own past to recount about what you did but they might feel like they're struggling a little bit Lord that they're lonely and that they don't have community father I pray that you would give them that community that they need that you would also help them to be community builders father just continue to be with each of us we long to go home Lord we long to see you soon and so we pray, Father, that you do everything in our lives, that you help us to be faithful to you, Lord, that we truly can be lights in this world, that we would seek first your kingdom, and that as a result, we would see Jesus coming very soon. We thank you, Father, and we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.